You are listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, hosted and created by me, Imani, a researcher. This is the podcast for people who research people. In this episode, I have a conversation with Sarah. My name is Sarah Duke. I'm a senior design researcher with Microsoft. Uh, I work on their employee experience or within their employee experience studio, currently focusing on a portfolio of experiences that serve as the digital overlay to our physical campus experiences. So think of kiosks that employees may be interacting with, such as to book campus transportation or to look up campus transportation schedules to our employee-based or exclusive employee application where we are enabling employees to discover amenities that are around them. Previously, I worked with Meta in their new product experimentation, which was an internal incubator for mobile applications. And prior to that, I was um, I worked in another uh, a new space technology startup, uh, and that was a startup which you know was taking data from low cluster, uh, low Earth orbital satellites or low orbital Earth satellites, and they the data. Uh, there was being used by intelligence agencies around the world and I was they came on as their first um, product manager and UX strategist uh, to develop their flagship platform Uh, and then prior to that I was a tech startup founder myself which was a C2C or uh, platform it was a platform to connect parents expecting parents to fully vet at nannies and it enabled, it basically was uh, a nanny agency completely online, basically took all the functions and and, uh, role of what a nanny agency does, put it online and enabled parents to, you know, see and vet out nanny candidates online who already had their background, criminal record and driving history record checks done. Uh, enabled them, enabled both parties to negotiate uh, a salary directly on the platform and also generated a contract at the end of that that entire process. I am curious about different methods and frameworks, especially jobs to be done. My conversation with Sarah will be a very deep dive into jobs to be done. The first step is to understand what jobs to be done is. Is it a method, a framework, something else altogether? Uh, so jobs to be done is a descriptive framework. Uh, it's based on the theory that people don't randomly use products. Uh, they hire certain products or services in order to make progress towards accomplishing goals. Um, the jobs to be done framework enables you to discover the factors which lead to success, thereby enabling researchers and product leaders to produce a desired outcome statement. Um, and a desired outcome is statement is essentially an optimal need statement that defines how customers measure success when they're performing a specific job. A lot of researchers use the term jobs to be done. We hear it a lot. It's one of those buzzwords in our field, right? When is the best time to use JTBD in the product development lifecycle? Uh, the best time to use uh, jobs to be done is at the discovery phase or the very beginning of the product development life cycle. Uh, you would use this when you're exploring a new problem space or when you want to reimagine the current product experience that's being offered. 
If you're using jobs to be done to reimagine existing product experience, the approach is going to be slightly different as you will want to ask questions in your um, data collection or interviews, which explore push-pull habits and anxieties of one, people who are recently joining or just starting to use your product or service, two, people who have uh, recently stopped using your product or service, and three, people who have not yet used your product or service. So when you're reimagining or building off of an existing product experience, um, you're going to want to um, do this exploration and the process that we focused on with at least three types or three groups of people that you're in your interviews. In terms of JTBD, can you provide more details on discovering push-pull habits and anxieties of customers, former customers, and prospective customers? Here, what you're trying to understand is why people switch to your product or service, and then why people switched away from your product or service. So essentially, what pushes and pulls people into using you, uh, your product, or your or a competitor's product or service? Uh, you also want to ask about what people who have not heard about your product or service are trying to achieve and how they're currently going about getting those outcome, outcomes achieved. This will help you discover the habits that people may have that may prevent them from trying a new solution. Um, finally, you want to under, understand what are the anxieties that those who have not yet tried your product and service you want to understand what anxieties they currently have with trying or using a new solution. And how do you get data to use the JTBD framework? So do you collect this data via focus groups, interviews, surveys, ethnography? The, the best methodology to use is going to be through one-on-one -on -one interviews. That is, that's going to be an, enabling you to have those rich discussions and to ask probing follow-up questions that will give you more clarification and further details. And what's a good sample size if you're working with JTBD um, as part of your research study? What's a good sample size? You said they're one-on-one -on -one interviews, so I would imagine it's probably pretty small. Yes. So a good sample size is going to be 10 to 12 participants. However, if, for example, you're reimagining the product experience that's currently on offer, um, that may expand because you'll be wanting to have at least five to six participants that match up to each of those three different segments or type of uh, participants that I previously mentioned. But you also want to consider the problem space. So for example, if I were to take email as a problem space and I'm just looking at you know email in general, um, I might want to expand my sample size um, beyond this so uh, that I have those that are using email primarily for personal purposes or uses and those that you might use email for business uses. Um, and in that case, your sample size is going to expand to probably be between eight to 10 users of each type, business versus uh, personal users. But in general, you would not need to go beyond a sample of 20 Typically, data becomes saturated within, within 8 to 12 interviews, but your, your sample um, and its segmentation of who you choose to be as part of that sample is going to vary based on the, the previous factors that I described. 
that makes sense. And so before we get too deep into our conversation, I wanted to know what is the job? What is the job and jobs to be done? The job is a need to achieve. So from the lens of uh, the JTPD approach, people are viewed as goal-driven actors seeking a desired outcome. So, and when we think about this, we also have to think about systems. So if we were, if we're working in enterprise, for example, a system may contain numerous jobs and a job may be a need that requires fulfillment in support of a larger goal. So a job is essentially a need um, and a job is framed within the context or situation and motivation. And these components of situation and co- or context, progress, goal, and motivations as they relate to a person's need impacts their expectations of the product experience and how they will use the product to satisfy their need. And jobs have three different dimensions, right? You have functional, emotional, and social. Tell us about those different dimensions. Right. So jobs are multifaceted. They're never simply just about the function. The function is essentially what is the practical task that meets a person's requirements. However, there's an emotional dimension um, to them, which is the feelings that a person um, desires or believes they will get from completing that job. And then the social um, dimension of it is relating to how a person believes they will be perceived by others socially when completing a job. Each job to be done has a context, right? And what is the context made of? So the context is made of um, situation, um, motivation, and the desired outcome. A situation is the circumstances of the job. When defining a situation, you want to consider understanding like, where did this occur? Um, when did when did the job occur? Who else was involved? The motivation is the trigger which led to action. So it's often a problem or a challenge to overcome. And the desired outcome is the expected result which the person will measure success. As you were talking about JTBD, and I'm listening to what you're saying, it sounds a little bit similar to user stories and personas, but uh, JTBD is a different approach. What weaknesses do user stories and personas have that JTBD addresses successfully? If people start out with the approach of utilizing personas and user stories, they're already making assumptions on on um, the attributes and uh, um, and even the motivations of who would be using their their product or their feature. And with user stories, they're making assumptions on you know, why a person is doing what they're doing. So they ignore context. Uh, user stories often ignore context, situations, and anxieties. Um, all the things that I've, you know, been talking about. It, at the end of it, it's the outcome that's more important than the person themselves. I, I wouldn't completely throw personas out the window. There's different types of personas. There's demographic personas, which are just kind of very not very superficial and not of a ton of value there's marketing segmentation personas uh which you know help marketers identify how they're going to campaign when and and where they're going to reach their target audience but then there's also behavioral personas and behavioral personas do utilize motivations and you so you could essentially do 
couple personas with the jobs to be done framework, but I would build those personas after completing the jobs to be done framework as opposed to beforehand, because you want to keep an open blank canvas when it comes to the jobs to be done framework, uh, because you just never know who you might discover are, are truly your power users or who's most in need in the problem space that you're looking to, that you're looking to investigate and explore. It's possible to, to, to bring the two together, but they are two separate processes. You know, you, if you were to anchor behavioral personas first and foremost, then you're almost already limiting yourself to the different types of solutions or opportunities that you end up coming up with at the end of this experience with the framework. When I first learned about jobs to be done, I was really fascinated and interested, but still a little bit confused and a little bit fuzzy. I would go online and look at different examples of what JTBD was or what it looked like. I would look for templates and I couldn't quite find anything that really helped me understand what it was, right? And I imagine a lot of people listening probably had or have the same issue. So I think the best way to think about JTBD is to give us an example. So let's talk through a sample scenario. Let's say the scenario was I needed to secure my home. In that scenario, I need to secure my home. What is my job? A job may be having a digital keyless lock for their front door or, you know, reduce the chance. But ultimately, that is the solution. So you want to think about what's the practical or functional task that they want. And it's basically, I want to reduce the chance that an intruder can enter my home. That's the functional dimension of the job. What is the emotional dimension of that job? The emotional dimension is wanting to increase a sense of safety and security. And then what is the social dimension of the job? The social dimension might be, well, I want to secure my home, but it could also be that um, I want to allow like my mother-in-law or my, you know, sister to come into the house whenever they need to, for whatever reason, therefore it's going to allow me to fill the social thing of being foreseen as friendly and welcoming and making it easier on my family members to get in without um, hassle on either the, on their part or hassle on my part. So it's, it's about, you know, socially, I want to let my invited guests in, in and out as they, as they desire. And in terms of the context of the sample scenario, what is the situation? In this example, the situation may be that someone had seen a posting on their neighborhood app, local neighborhood app, uh, which suggested that, you know, there's been recent uh, break-ins in the area and they want to do something to, you know, provide that security of their home. They may also be a business traveler and travel frequently. And so therefore, they also want to have that assurance of security and ensuring that their home is secure uh, while they're gone in a way. That could be very well the situation. What is the motivation? So the motivation would be having seen that posting or hearing from others in the neighborhood uh, that there's been a a recent break-in that occurred uh, and it just kind of hit a little bit close to home (laughs) as, as a cliched phrase. 
And so therefore they wanted to take action to to ensure that it doesn't happen to them. And lastly, we talked about when you were describing JTBD, we talked about desired outcomes. In this scenario, what is a desired outcome? So the desired outcome is that my home is secured and I have that peace of mind. Uh, so the peace of mind is going to be the emotional aspect and the emotional out the emotional outcome or I mean the emotional element or dimension of the of the job to be done. And then in terms of the social, I may add another layer to this job of I need, you know, my expected outcome is that my home is secure. Uh, I want peace of mind, but I also want to ensure ease of access to those who I have invited to come to my home. In this sample scenario, which again is I need to secure my home, how would you as a researcher get a sense of the situation, the motivation, the job, and the user's social and emotional perception? Sure. So you're going to be asking probing questions around all of these elements. When the interview participant gives an answer for how they have achieved a specific outcome for a problem space. So for example, if you ask, well, how do you currently secure secure your home now? You, you're going to follow up with asking them, well, why did they choose that solution over others? So perhaps they are using um, a digital keyless lock, uh, but now they're going to be upgrading to a security system that includes, you know, camera-based uh, equipment and things like that. So you can ask them, why did they choose that specific solution? Um, you're going to ask them to describe the situation that was occurring and happening at the time, who else influenced their decision, or who may have been involved in that process. Essentially, you just want to remember the five W's and H, who, what, where, when, why and how, just like an investigative journalist. So you want to get as many details as possible. At this point in the framework, so we talked about the job itself, the context, how would you gauge the user's social and emotional perception? At this point in this framework, the researcher may already be thinking of solutions. Is that fair to be considering at this point or why or why not? Well, you, you really want to keep your mind open to exploring numerous possibilities and opportunities. And you can't do that while you're still collecting data and interviews. If you start determining solutions in the middle of this process, then your mind kind of latches onto the solutions. And you may proceed to only ask questions or ask them in a way which might give you answers that support those presupposed solutions um, that you've begun formulating in your mind. Um, there's a lot to discover about people's experiences and their mental models in the data collection process or the interviews. So it's best to further gather all data and then synthesize through affinity mapping or thematic coding before coming up with solutions. So only by layering on an understanding of the context of the job and differences in the final proposed solutions will change or will essentially emerge. Next, the researcher will formulate the JTBT story. What is the format for formulating this story? Once you've gathered your data on situations, motivations, emotional and social perceptions, and the expected outcome, or what the user aims, uh, or what people in general aim to achieve, um, you can then begin crafting um, multiple, a multitude of job statements or stories. Um, so a job statement um, starts with when, followed by the situation, describe the situation. 
And then after giving the situation, I want to, the statement of I want to. So what is the motivation here? Fill in the blank of I want to. After that, it's it's expected outcome. So you're going to fill in so I can blank what's the expected outcome and feel, fill in the emotional um, element or dimension that, that uh you you want you want to fulfill here and or perceived as then you're going to fill in the blank for the social dimension such as be perceived as confident be perceived as um, competent you know job stories really make you think about the motivation and the context you don't want to have any particular implementation at this point in time you just really want to focus on this this statement which provides situation motivation, expected outcome, and then the emotional and social dimensions in that, in that expected outcome. If you are an aspiring or current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, professional brand, interview skills, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yizzy Research Coaching Program. Coaching clients exit the program with a refreshed resume, cover letter, research portfolio, and detailed notes to make them more competitive in the UX research job market. If you are interested or know someone who is, visit yizzyresearch.com to learn more and apply. That's yizzyresearch, Y-Z-Z-I, research.com. And as a researcher, I'm always thinking about tools and software. <laughs> so is there a special software or program um, to help in creating the JTBD story? Uh, there isn't. But if you want, basically, the only thing that you need are sticky notes. Uh, so anything that offers the form of a sticky note works. So Miro, Mural, Figma, Jam all offer digital sticky notes within their, within their platforms. But you can do this analog in an analog way with, you know, real actual sticky notes on a conference room wall, for example. Yes, researchers, you hear that sticky notes. We love sticky notes. Yes. <laughs> sticky notes and whiteboards. This sounds like a really good time in this framework to do a JTBD story sprint. How could that sprint be organized? So similar to design thinking workshops, uh, with your team, you'll share insights and supporting data points or findings. Uh, these can then be documented on sticky notes. And then each individual participating in the workshop can copy and arrange those sticky notes uh, for the columns of when. Let's, and this is where you'll list the variety of situations that your insights showcased. I want is the second column, which again, this is all about the motivation. So what were those triggers? What were those motivations for those varied situations? Uh, followed by a third column, so I can achieve, and this is the expected outcomes of that of those experiences. And feel uh, is the fourth column. This is documenting the emotional um, dimension. And then the final column that you'd be listing on your on your digital mural or on the physical um, conference room wall is be perceived as, which is the social dimension of the job. And how long could this story sprint be? Uh, so depending upon the complexity of the problem space, a workshop like this could take two to four hours. 
And as part of the sprint, which stakeholders, so for example, like product managers, UX designers, other researchers, do you invite to these types of sprints? I know personally, sometimes I struggle to figure out who are the relevant stakeholders at different parts of a research plan. So for this uh, story sprint, who would you invite? I would invite all members of the um of the squad or the core team that be, would be in, invested in working on the outcome of this of this experience and exercise. So that's designers, that's product managers, that's engineer leads, and that can even also include and should also include engineers. It's really great to get all stakeholders, um, you know, involved early and upfront as you know, as much as possible, because then they have a closer understanding as to who they're building for and why they're building and, and what is the direction and, and, and how did this all come about. So it really infuses a sense of ownership um, and not only a sense of ownership, but truly understanding of who we're aiming to support and the problem space and, and really builds that empathy uh, among the team. I imagine at this point in the framework, you have a lot of data, right? Let's use, going back to our hypothetical example, going back to the sample scenario, I need to secure my home. Let's say at the point you collected your data, right? You did your interviews. How do you as a researcher prioritize jobs to be done? So there's a um, there's quite a few ways to go about doing this. The traditional uh, way is through using Tony Ulwick's uh, Opportunity Score and Opportunity Landscape. Uh, there's also a feature request survey. Another opportunity uh, or, uh, for prioritization is a card sort. And then there might be other uh, scoring criteria. So I've listed just I've listed four different ways, and I'm going to go over a, a little bit about each of the four different ways of uh, how you would prioritize these um, jobs to be done stories. Um, if we're using the Opportunity Score and Opportunity Landscape Survey. Uh, this is a survey which asks uh, respondents to rate each job story for importance uh, and then satisfaction. So the question on importance is going to be structured for when such and such job or such and such need occurs, how important is it to you that you're able to achieve such and such expected outcome? Um, here you'd have a, a, a scale of one to five, with one being not important at all and five being extremely important. Then you're going to follow that uh, specific, uh, that importance question with a satisfaction question on when uh, using the current existing market solution or a way or, you know, a way of doing something to meet the job or the need. How satisfied are you with your ability to achieve uh, such and such expected outcome? Here you'll be um, um, offering responses to this in, a, in the form of a one to five scale with one being not at all satisfied and five being extremely satisfied. So for each of these uh, job stories, you're going to have this, uh, these two questions uh, for each of them in a, in a survey for uh, respondents to, um, to, to answer. The next one is going to focus on a feature request survey. Here you'll be presenting the various features in a survey, which basically um, 
this is this is saying, you know, these are the jobs to be done. You know, which of these jobs to be done uh, uh, stories uh, are most important for you in meeting your day to day needs with the opportunity score and opportunity landscape. There is a formula which basically calculates the opportunity score of importance plus max, uh, and then in parentheses, importance minus satisfaction, comma, zero. The, essentially, what this formula is doing is it's giving a weight to the importance and uh, satisfaction. So where importance and satisfaction are the proportion of high survey responses. Um, so twice as much weight is given to satisfaction in comparison to importance. And then you would take those survey responses of importance and satisfaction and create a scatterplot uh, diagram uh, or a scatterplot graph. Uh, and then this is going to showcase to you uh, the best jobs to pursue for innovating um, technology where an, uh, where there is an unmet need. Um, so uh, in the scatter plot, uh, you're going to have on the important scale, uh, the important scale is going to be represented through the x-axis and satisfaction is going to be represented on the y-axis. Uh, and so in a descriptive scatterplot graph, um, there are segments um, between one to five, and uh, on 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 you know both of these axes, and you're going to look for um, scatterplots that fall to the far right side of that graph. So you know, meaning uh, it's going to be in high importance but very low satisfaction and those scatter plots uh, basically represent an underserved need and they're the most representative of optimal jobs to pursue for market disruption and innovation so that is just one method or one way of uh, prioritizing um, the others are going to be a survey on just a simple survey on uh, your jobs to be done stories and needs uh, where you'd basically be asking participants to rank level of importance based on its day-to-day -day influence or impact in their daily life. Uh, another way of prioritizing is through a card sort and you're going to read each job story to the card uh, card sort participants and you can even do this without software. You can do it, you know, in a face-to-face in-person experience where you're going to ask similar similar to the opportunity score um, survey when using um, current existing market solution or a way of doing something to meet the job or the need, how satisfied are you with your ability to achieve the expected outcome? And again, this is going to be rated on a scale of one to five with one being not at all satisfied and five being extremely satisfied. Uh, for those job stories that were rated by participants as not as all satisfied or slightly satisfied, meaning they've ranked them in this way, you will then follow up um, with the importance question. So you wouldn't ask this importance question on every single job, uh, jobs to be done story. You only ask it on those where they've 
uh, responded to the previous to the survey question or the the question in the um, in the session with not at all satisfied or slightly satisfied, then you ask them of these jobs that were rated this way, sort them for importance. And then the final uh, scoring criteria might vary from company to company. It might be looking at how big the cost of current solutions for the job are for the user, um, the company's ability to compete in the market um, where these jobs are offered, and how fitting is it um, in solving, does solving this job match with company strategy? Now, at this point in the JTBD process, I have to say that slowly, <laughs> at this point in the process, the researcher is ready to draft an outcome statement, right? You shared the different ways that you can prioritize jobs. Now it's time to actually draft your outcome statement. What is an outcome statement? An outcome statement is essentially uh, looking at what's the direction of improvement that we want uh, that we want to move the needle for for our participants. It's then looking at the uh, providing some sort of a performance indicator. Um, this would be like a KPI. And then it's it's also going to be the subject of of the improvement. So what what are we actually trying to uh, change? What what's what's the outcome that uh, that we're actually trying to improve or change in some sort of way? How is the outcome statement formulated? What what is the direction of improvement that we that we want our participants? Uh, I mean that we want people. Um, to experience? Do we want to reduce something? Do we want to eliminate something? Do we want to lower the cost of something, for example? Or do we want to, you know, maximize an experience? Uh, so it's going to be more of like a verb. And then the, and it's going to point in a direction up or down, for example. Uh, and then it's going to be followed by a performance at indicator, which is a unit of measure. So here we're going to be looking at time spent on the, the amount of the, the re reducing the risk of or, you know, reducing the effort, of, you know, reducing number of people involved. There is something that you can actually measure here. And so that's where it's a performance indicator. And this can later then also be used as your KPI, um, key performance indicator when you're assessing after the development and release of the product or the feature. And then the subject of improvement is the problem area, is the space that you're looking to address and tackle. Um, so what is that outcome that we're trying to, to deliver on? And all of this comes together similar to like a formula you would see in math, for example, right? Because you as a researcher, you now combine the solution and the outcome statement to create a solution strategy. What are some examples of a solution strategy? A solution strategy is going to include something um, such as, you know, are we developing a new product? Are we developing a new feature? Are we offering a new product bundle, a new service uh, or a service extension, for example? So the solution uh, would, would be like, for me, a digital product is successful. Then this is where we go into that outcome statement, which features the direction of improvement the performance indicator and the expected outcome. So a good example of this would be when the sun shines in Seattle after many days of misty rain, I want to quickly access other people's suggested bike routes. 
that match my energy level so that I can come up with enjoyable routes and feel my time has been used efficiently. In this situation, we are saying for me, uh, a digital product is successful when it enables me to quickly access and minimize my time in research for bike routes. The performance indicator is going to be, you know, how quickly I was able to come up with those enjoyable routes. And the expected outcome is that I've gotten those enjoyable routes and my time has been used efficiently. So just overall, so some examples of solution strategies could be a new product, new feature, a service extension, a new service, just to summarize. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so you have a wide range of um, applications there, which makes sense because JTBD is such a robust framework. You have so much information once you do it, so you can apply it to so many different um, different things. Absolutely. It's not limited to a physical product or a digital product. Uh, it's, it's, you can apply it to service uh, and to a variety of offerings that uh, customers or people would, would go to for achieving their expected outcome. Then, so again, this just definitely feels like a big formula. <laughs> then the researcher combines the JTBD story and the solution strategy you just discussed what is good for researchers to know at this stage? When you when you bring together the the jobs to be done uh, story and the solution strategy, you want to then realistically assess what's something that's realistic that we would go after. I mean, what's what's amazing in workshops with a wide variety of of colleagues or coworkers is that we we get all these ideas from different perspectives and different point of view. And we can put all those ideas out there, but which ones are feasible, which ones are desirable, which ones are going to provide value it is, is something that needs to be assessed and evaluated. So, so then that's when you will then move on to having to make those assessments. And how do you assess the solution strategy? So there's different ways of assessing opportunities, but it's going to largely depend on organizational factors such as organizational values and approaches to assessing product development opportunities. Um, A few different approaches that I've seen and used for this type of assessment have been looking at um, low-hanging fruit, what's most feasible and can be achieved and accomplished within the least amount of effort. Um, Also, again, what's feasible and can be achieved within a set time frame. Uh, so for example, if we want to you know, build a new feature within three months or six months, what's the total cost of building a new experience? Uh, what's the time to build? The last one being what's, what's going to be the most value, valued outcome for um, and what's going to deliver the most value for our target market our customers or our target audience for the experience or the feature. So those are all a variety of ways, but these are just a few of the um, assessments, uh, ways of assessing a strategy. Yeah. When you were talking about how you assess the strategy, this sounded like the most business and I put business in air quote parts of the process, right? Like everything you described before that sounded more 
research e <laughs> right yeah. and it definitely sounds like it's more business oriented you're thinking about business outcomes and trying to connect the research findings to what the business is actually trying to do and that's not easy i know i still even at this point in my career i still struggle trying to make the connection between your research and a larger business goals and it sounds like that's what you're doing at this step absolutely that's exactly what you are doing at this step you are working sort of more in the confines of what are the what 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 can the business um, support what can the business um do and uh, does it does it take the does it match the company's direction that it's already going in those are all like key factors and elements um is this opening up a whole new vertical or a whole new portfolio of opportunities uh which would require a lot more time and effort and um include more stakeholders, other types of strategists in the process, or is it something that, you know, the solution is already falling within a realm of uh, products that we already offer and it's just a, it's an adjustment and it's maybe a feature that we can easily implement. So this is definitely bringing this back into the case with the, with the assessing the business, um, the business side of it. Mm-hmm. And then to bring all this together, so we talked, um, you talked, we walked through an example scenario of JTBD. You talked about the different parts of the JTBD frame, framework. What is a job? What is context? We talked about the different scenario. You talked about how to actually make sense of this information, how to collect it. So as we wrap up, for researchers who are interested in doing a JTBT study, but have not done one before, what advice do you have for them to encourage them to get started? Number one, uh, I would encourage them to just go out there and take hold of any opportunity that enables them to get invested into discovery or generative research and not not to be afraid to actually just say, I can do this and, and to like get into the mind frame and the mindset that it's, it's possible and it can be done. Um, it is not as straightforward or doesn't sound uh, like I've created, I've you know, presented the process and the framework here, but there are a lot of steps. But once you get started in that on that journey, you just keep pursuing and keep following it. When you are crafting your discussion guide, uh, which is really the heart and the jumping off point for eliciting those insights that are going to be featured in all of your jobs to be done stories. You want to get feedback from other researchers, especially those who are experienced in new product and new feature development or um, discovery or generative research. And then you also would want to practice your interview script with others so that as you go along, you get more comfortable with asking those probing questions, those follow-up questions to further understand the context, further understand the motivation that, that people are have when they are carrying out actions to achieve their expected outcomes um, and to gain those, those rich data findings and uh, insights that will help you then be woven back into those jobs to be stories that uh, jobs to be done stories that you craft uh, with your team. Um, so that's, that's the concluding advice that I would give. Uh, it might seem a little bit generic as in terms of how others are approaching any new process or any new way of doing something. Um, but it's just definitely, it's all about like getting yourself in the mindset to try it and do it uh, and then getting support along the way. I don't think that was generic advice. The essence of research is just trying things to see what works. 
I would recommend revisiting this episode to take notes as Sarah broke down jobs to be done in a way that needs a second or third listen to be digested. Perhaps use this episode as a guide if you plan on implementing jobs to be done for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Thanks for listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. I'm Imani, the host and creator. Visit yizzyresearch.com for podcast show notes and information about my UX research coaching program. Again, that's yizzyresearch.com, Y-Z-Z-I, research.com. This podcast was produced by Whisper and Mutter.